Welcome to the Guys Drinking Tea Podcast. If that sounds like a casual conversation to you, then you're absolutely right. We decided to start this podcast because, frankly, we just love talking about the scriptures and exploring how they interact with our everyday lives. These are the kind of conversations we were having in the hallway anyway every week, so we decided to turn on a camera and a microphone and let you listen in. If this content's helpful to you, then we would greatly appreciate it if you leave us a review in your podcast service, hop over on YouTube, subscribe to us there, like, comment, share with friends, all of those things. Without any further ado, let's dive into another sometimes meandering conversation about the scriptures and life. Hello, everybody. Checkity check. Hello. Welcome to the currently guys drinking tea podcast. <laughs> the soon to the be soon not to guys be drinking not guys tea. drinking tea podcast, but call it something else. Yeah, podcast. You don't know where you are right and now, if are you? That didn't sell <laughs> Do you? you on it. <laughs> but actually, today's conversation is fascinating. So, regardless of what the title of the podcast is, yeah, who cares uh, about that? Right? Because today we get to wrestle with a few things. Um, we we read a passage. Uh, this week in our community at South, uh, based around questions of freedom and how our knowledge and our desire to be free in different areas impacts other people. This writer Paul seems to tie the two together. So I have a bunch of like tangents that I'm fascinated by. Okay. Um, we live in a country, although neither of us were born in a country, but we both live in a country. That's true. Neither like, one of us yeah, was born well, here. Yeah, neither of us was born here. So, so a European and a African living in America talking about freedom, life, liberty, and the pursuit, pursuit of, happiness, of happiness, or as it was originally penned, life, liberty, property. Ah, John Locke. I didn't know. Well, yeah, okay, was a debate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. British guy. Yeah. Everything good. Is he British if he's one of the founding fathers? Was Locke a founding father? I don't think he was. Oh, was he? Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Well, anyway. Yeah. Very British thought. But um, property yeah. basically meant the pursuit of happiness. Mm. And there was a debate between him and some other guys on whether that was... Uh, so, so what does like that speak to us about freedom and individuality? Like, I get to pursue my happiness. Is that what it meant? And is that then antithetical to the way of Jesus? What does that cost us? How do you be constitutionally American and comfortable with that and proud of that while also living in the way of Jesus if the way of Jesus speaks to something other than freedom as we might understand it? But I thought the way of Jesus was the maximal freedom. He says, I came to set to set you free. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. Yes, but Is, there's it, a and, couple and different free iterations. And freedom the same thing? That's a great question. Uh, and what does it mean to be both a free person? To, it is for freedom that Christ set you free and to be a slave to Christ. Um, there's all a of lot. these are so complicated questions. And then add to that, this whole question Paul brings up of just because you know something doesn't mean you can ruin somebody else's conscience by what you know, like you can't think something's fine, pull them into it when they don't and, and damage them internally. 
what do we do about conscience? Because I don't know about you. I grew up with a very sensitive conscience. Like I, I remember going out to like, I, I grew up in a church that did these altar calls and things. And I remember going up to like the 200th altar call and the pastor looking at me saying, go and sit down. Like he was like, get out of here. Like you don't need to repent. You'd repent if you got the carpet dirty. And I was like, oh, I just walked in and thought, did I get the carpet dirty? <laughs> so all of this is complex and, and, and Paul... Paul is complex, so, so shouldn't be a surprise. So maybe to highlight what you opened with is the reality is, and I spent some time thinking about this this week because I wrote something for the Daily on this specific subject and I actually brought up life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. For people the, that don't know, what is the Daily? The Daily Devotion. We have a daily devotional that gets published on our website and in an email um, every day to accompany an, uh, the um, sermon that that happened. So that if week. you don't know what the daily is, you are missing out because it yes. is a delightful group of people that write some wonderful things based on some good conversations. Yeah, it's it's a way of taking the Sunday message and expanding it into the rest of the week and keeping it on the forefront of our mm. minds and like saturating a little bit deeper than just a Sunday yeah. morning experience. As as this podcast is also meant to do. Yeah. Um, this podcast actually is probably going to make its way into the daily devotional on Fridays, at least for several weeks, if not longer term. Because next week on this podcast, yes, we are talking through women in leadership, women teaching in church, all of those different questions that hover somewhere in this First Corinthians text that we're talking about. Yeah, so, so tune in next week. It, yeah. Uh, Alex is going to cover that a little tiny, tiny bit in the message, but it's we, a teaser. But we're gonna actually go deep dive into it in the podcast because we just don't have time to address all the text. Like he either can preach First Corinthians or he can deal with this subject. Yeah. <laughs> he can't do both at the same time in the sermon. So yeah. we're gonna commandeer the podcast for the deep dive mm -hmm. if you're interested in that subject. So, so yeah. So for me, like, and and. You talked about, well, let's go back to your, you wrote in the daily around yeah. the subject. So. Uh, what did you write? I think, and I'm I'm still a part of this, even though I was born overseas. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm a slightly more aware of it. Maybe you're slightly more aware of this than someone who just was born and raised in America. But I, it's sometimes we forget that we were, were our roots, the soil, the air, the very oxygen that we grew up in was, uh, is all saturated in this idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit mm. of happiness. Like the American dream is, is saturated in that. The, the freedoms that we have in this country, the, all of our existence is saturated in this backbone of the American system of thinking, which is freedom is this high, high, high priority for our culture. And you may not be consciously thinking about that. And that's actually a really beautiful thing. It's one of the things that's making made America such a powerful country and unique expression of, of goodness in the world. In That's one of the things. It's also one of the things that's deeply wrong with so the country. So let's start with that, because that idea in itself is fascinating. Like one, yes, nations have tendencies. So, so it, you can't generalize every single person down to you are from this nation, therefore you act like this, but there's tendencies. So, so one of those things that, that was really helpful to me was understanding that, that uh, um, Americans in general, and British people would be included in this too, 
have a low understanding of authority. We are quite comfortable questioning authority. Yes. Other nations don't do that. So, so, so when because you think then you die. Yes. Sometimes it's just about dying. So, so a great example of this was some years back, a pilot was flying from somewhere in South America up to New York. And this is probably decades ago now. Ended up hitting bad weather and had to, had to do a, a, a diversion somewhere around like Florida, another diversion somewhere further north, um, and then ended up, because they've run these fuel, these planes pretty low on fuel, ends up running out of fuel. Um, and, and just before he runs out of fuel, he's requesting emergency landing or he's saying, I need to land the plane. And the tower are saying to him, hold, please. And he's like, okay, but I need to land the plane. The tower's like, hold, please. And he ends up crashing. The plane runs out of fuel, the plane crashes. N now, the person writing about this said that would never have happened if there'd been an American pilot. Wow. An American pilot would have said, look, pal, unless you get me on the ground in the next two minutes, this plane's going to be on the side of a mountain. Like, figure it out. I don't care who's landing, but the pilot came from a nation that had a high respect for authority. Uh, and so he simply went along with what the tower was telling him. All the way to the point of death. All the way to the point of death. So, so like, so, so in, that, in that case, you see the Americanness of the pilot potentially would have been a wonderful thing. It would have prevented lots of people dying in a plane crashing, however many decades ago it was. So, so there are things that we do naturally that are really good. And then there's things that we do naturally that aren't so good. And, and uh, some years ago, there was a guy uh, I heard speak who talked about being Swedish and Jewish. So he had a deep sense of his Jewishness and being a person from the middle east which while while the jewish nation is a distinct part of the middle east there is a cultural tendency there yeah um and and then also been swedish and what he said is this he said as swedes we are meticulously honest so he said like a swedish person would uh walk down the street see a bunch of money on the street and they would pick it up go hand it into the police station someone's lost their money it's not my money let's get it back to the owner where he said a Jewish person would be like, God, God provides, thank you so much. And it would go in the, <laughs> uh, again, generalization. Yeah. Um, and then he said, on the other hand, like as Swedish people, when I lived in Sweden, I was just really aware that a be your best friend could come to the door during dinner. And you would, you would say, you'd open the door, say, come back later, please, we're eating. And you shut the door in their face. Whereas a Jewish person wouldn't let a traveling salesman like go away without breaking bread. It's like, come in and eat my salt. There's a cultural responsibility for hospitality that yeah. just wasn't there. So, so he said, which was fascinating, he said, what I've tried to do over the years in all my traveling is take what's best about, what about that nation most reflects the kingdom and the way of Jesus and adopt that into my life. Wow. So I used to work for a mission agency. I was part of directing a, uh, program for young adults. It was like a leadership development program where we'd take young adults and put them in different cultures and stuff. And some of the language I would use with the leadership teams of these different um, field leaders and pastors from these other countries when I would go and try and see if they would be willing to receive teams, um, I would I would ask them this question, which is, what is the unique facet of the kingdom of God that your culture exhibits most? Mm. 
And then we would design the program to try and transfer that unique facet of God's goodness into the team. So like, wow. and I, a lot of these pastors never even considered this, yeah. but like, yeah. if you pr press on them long enough, they could, a lot of the times they could figure out. Yeah. I, I think that, um, one of the things that's unique about the Filipino church is that we, the servant hearted, they, mm -hmm. they will, they will just serve and serve yep. and serve and serve and serve or, um, and having been there, I would agree. <laughs> yeah. Co community, uh, like in, in West Africa, community and like even community conflict resolution is unique mm. there. Oh, wow. And, uh, so anyway, so these are the kinds of things. And it's true. I think that maybe the goodness of God is actually, and the idea, the fullness of the idea of what he has in mind when he thinks of his, his bride, the church mm. is actually deposited among the peoples of the world. Mm. And, and maybe as the more we engage in that, the more we get to see the fuller expression of what the church could be. Mm. One of the unique ones for America is the ability to think forward into the future and to plan wow. renovation of systems and structures. That's in a very, very Love unique that. American thing that a lot of third world countries, they're just trying to figure out today yeah. and they can't think out as far into to the future to like get enough critical mass to renovate certain systems and structures. Mm -hmm. Anyway, uh, super fascinating. Hmm. Um, so this idea of freedom in America, we read a text like this and he basically says, relinquish some of your freedom. Um, and yet this, it, yeah, we're, what do we do with that as followers of Jesus who are also uh, Americans or maybe not Americans, but like uh, but, but has some living tendency. in this I mean, I mean, like even just the, th the thing you mentioned, the forward thinking, I think British people would, would want to claim that as well. Totally. Um, whether the, we'd claim the freedom to the maximal degree that maybe... America might be when you think of America's story that totally makes sense it's a story founded on religious oppression and a, and a fleeing of religious oppression to create something something different and so what happens when you begin to be told only oh, no, you need to give some of that up there is a moment of like but that's why we came here or that's why my ancestors came here or that's the that's the heartbeat of... It's written into the very constitution uh -huh. of our nation that freedom's a high priority. Yeah. And so so all sorts of questions for me of like, can you can you keep doing that as a nation while surrendering it as an individual? And I, and I think what it seems to me is that Paul's heartbeat somewhere is... And I tried to tried to get to this on Sunday, but it, it's, it's almost hard to, to fully enter into, I think, because our mindsets are so different. Um, sometimes that like that knowledge of no i get to be free it leads to i'm going to claim my rights and, and and we do that like so often i do that i want what's coming to me i want what's due to me i want to make sure i get my taxes to the point where i get every refund possible because that's due to me um and 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 yet in some healthy way love for another person is the freedom to surrender rights. Yes. And, and, and I, and trust it's not just surrender. It's trusting God with some of the outcomes. It's so that's, it's, it's surrender in a direction that's uniquely God, uh, that's kingdom. Um, 
That's a big ask of people. It is, especially for an American. And so I'll, I'll go one more degree into politics here. Um, <laughs> mm. So Wade confidently into that minefield, my friend. There you go. Um, uh, this is a podcast. You know, there's several things you're not supposed to talk about in public. It's politics, <laughs> religion, and we are not that place. No, no. clearly not. So, um, you know, th there's a mentality of uh, like, I don't want to give more taxes to the government. I don't trust them. And mm -hmm. I get that mentality. There's a lot that the government is not proven historically to be very good with money, uh, the American government. And so I can understand that mentality, but there's like the whole conversation you said about taxes. I want to get everything I can or protect myself mm -hmm. from paying taxes. Um, and then meanwhile, on the other side of the party, they're like, no, we need more taxes so we can help more people. Mm -hmm. Um, social systems and like big government to help yes. the poor and the needy. That's the theory yeah, on yeah, that yeah, side yeah. of the yeah. aisle. And then the other side of the aisle is no like shrink government and let yeah. uh, let the the marketplace and the philanthropy of wealthy people care for the needy. Yeah, and and and, and at the same time, there's the the, the the critique of like, um, no one seems to get poorer from going into politics. In the end, like maybe in the temporary, but like there's always like an end game that makes us very cynical about that. Totally. Um, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, something that I've like, I've thought about when I do taxes, honestly, is there's part of me who's like, I don't trust the government necessarily, mm -hmm. but I trust that God is big enough and wise enough to actually do good even through the broken systems of the government. So when I do write those checks or when I do do my taxes, I just say, Lord, I don't get it. A lot of the things I'm seeing are not promising mm -hmm. from where this money's gonna go. But I ask that you would take this and then it would find its way to someone needy. Mm. And if I didn't find all of the all of the exemptions that I should have found and all those, so be it, because mm -hmm. you're big enough to actually do some good out of this. Yeah. Um, I don't know how that makes you guys feel, but... Oh, I'm, I'd, I'd love to see, like, the 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 response internally of everybody right now. Like, that'd, that'd be so fun for me. <laughs> for you. But, but uh, so, so here's what I think is fascinating. I, I think I'm comfortable with you can follow Jesus with any political belief of the two parties like like the, the the broad spectrum of politics you can be a follower of jesus what jesus doesn't seem to allow is that your personal way of living is out of sync with his guidelines for living like he seems to demand a type of slavery a slavery to his way of being so even when he says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, it's still a yoke. Like, he doesn't say there is no yoke anymore. He says, come learn from my way of being. Um, and so I think, like, let's take the example. I, I've been intrigued by the, I'd love to have a Venn diagram in front of me of the, the combination of libertarian and also evangelical Christian. Because I think there's there's quite a lot of overlap these days in that. Like libertarian has become the thing that lots of evangelical if Christians you're a good would, Christian, would, would, you're supposed would to purport go there, yeah. to. Because yeah. it, it seems to reflect a lot of constitutional values uh, yeah. and seems to reflect some politics that are slightly more right-leaning, which also 
touches some bases. So it seems like that's a perfectly compatible political doctrine with following Jesus. And yet, like you can follow libertarian to the point of view that your tax bill in your ideal world and perhaps the real world eventually becomes pretty much zero. But you can't live a life where nothing goes out in the outflow, like that, that all of your wealth becomes yours. However it's given, it has to be given somewhere to live in the way of Jesus. Jesus just doesn't seem to offer a pathway where you get to hoard more wealth and hold it and hold it and hold it. I mean, the, the, the perfect illustration parable wise is he talks about a guy that, that says like, I filled my barns. I'm going to tomorrow. I'm going to build bigger barns. Um, yep. Uh, and, and so, so that's the challenge point, right? Whatever your political ethic is or your political understanding is personally, if, if you want to follow Jesus, nothing can get you out of the fact that Jesus demands outflow, um, to the people that need it somewhere. So is that really freedom? Is Christian freedom a facade? Is the, is the constitution of the United States of America incompatible with Christianity? <laughs> I feel like you have to answer that as the American. <laughs> oh, come on now. I was born in East, in Central Africa. Um, so, so it seems to me that no nation perfectly reflects the way of Jesus. And maybe it's not possible. Maybe, maybe that's actually a good thing. Um, so, so the, the, uh, and you're just back studying again. So I'm sure this has become language that again is just becoming newly familiar. The old Testament as a whole is, and the new Testament by implication, even if the language isn't as distinct is almost full of the empire of this world versus the empire or the kingdom of Christ. Yeah. Like the, 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 the contrast between the two. There's Egypt, which is the land of production and then consumption, and you're valued based on your production and your consumption. And then there's the way of Israel that isn't that way at all. Yeah. Um, Iro ironically, if you want to say is, uh, so United States is technically a republic. We call it a democracy, but uh -huh. it's a republic democracy. Um, and if you want to say, is that the most biblical model? Well, no. Actually, the biblical model, if you want to just be super biblical is benevolent dictatorship. Yeah, 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 yeah. Give one guy who really loves God all of the power. <laughs> That's the only example we have in the Bible of it kind of working, but very rarely. There's like some terrified people right totally. now. <laughs> that's, that's the reality of how it is. And they're like, uh, yeah. So. And, and yet the, the history seems to tell us that the, the, there is no, ultimately no benevolent dictator. Totally. And that's true of any, like, like, like David probably was the closest and he was a totally jacked up and actually ruined a lot of the nation. Yeah. Um, and then so even theocracy like, would be the, would be the ultimate expression of, yes. of what a biblical government. And it doesn't matter like. if it's left or right. Both of them warp, like the, the political spectrum in the end becomes a horseshoe, which a left dictator and a right dictator are actually very close to each other. The difference between Stalin and Hitler it is is not particularly great in the end, um, even though they both actually reflect completely opposite ends of the spectrum. 
so, so the spectrum is not a line it's a horseshoe shape and left and right actually That's, come back to almost touch each other at their ultimate expression there's this great podcast i'm on a podcast recommending it you listen yeah, yeah, to yeah. a different Go one listen to another podcast. there's a way better podcast than this one <laughs> that you should listen to um and i'm not gonna even be able to remember the name of it but it's um this cultural moment oh uh, yeah yeah um incredible podcast but yeah, one podcast. of the things they talk a lot about politics and about can we just ask that this cultural moment guys just recommend our podcast in return now? that's right but they're not continuing to run right now uh, they just did a, a like four seasons and then they're done but mm. by the way if you are listening to this you should start it again it was awesome <laughs> um, and then recommend our podcast but here here's what i loved about this podcast is um they do you've heard maybe you've heard the term deconstruction where we uh, there's a lot of people going through quote unquote deconstruction. Mm -hmm. They're deconstructing their faith. They're questioning their faith. Yeah, yeah. And that's sort of something that's going on. And it's because their faith is running into cultural issues mm -hmm. that just make their faith messy and confusing. And it doesn't seem compatible. They're they're Yeah, whatever. And there's some good sides to deconstruction. And this podcast addresses that. But one of the things this podcast does, it says, don't just deconstruct your faith, deconstruct the cultural moment. Yeah. Because if we don't evaluate deeply the the ideology, the the quote unquote theology of mm. culture, yes. Then we're we're just deconstructing one side of the argument. Meanwhile, we're just assuming that culture's right about everything. Oh, that's the thing, right? Yeah, that becomes that becomes super dangerous and it, and really easy to do because the 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 biblical writers they reflect a very different culture uh, totally. that's foreign to us. So we receive it with almost um, with the view of suspicion. We're, we're questioning it constantly, huh? I'm intrigued by this that, doesn't but, make it doesn't, sense but it me. doesn't make sense to me. Whereas the culture that we live in, we accept if if we don't think about it almost just by nature. This is just the way things are. Yeah. And yeah. And, and that that's true. Like, I mean, take take a silly example of that. My kids were baffled that that I didn't have Netflix growing up. They were like, wait, you couldn't just watch whatever you wanted whenever you wanted to. I'm like, no, like you had to watch these things called advertisements. Yeah. That's so annoying. And at Christmas, I would get like the TV guide out for the Christmas and I'd be so excited to underline all these movies that I wanted to watch. Um, and, and they're like, this, this, this isn't real. And then you had to show up at a specific time yes. to watch them. And they're like, you're so old. Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I think like that, that is just a mini picture of what it is to just think, no, oh, this is all the way it's always been. Uh, and and on a broader like macro level no things have been thought differently at different points people have acted differently at different points there's been assumptions that are very different at different points and still are in different the different areas of the world yeah um and we could get into a whole bunch of stuff of like why you and i have both seen miraculous things happen in different parts of the world and haven't seen them to the same degree in america based on the perception and understanding of the people. I mean, we could go into a huge tangent there. It's yeah, fascinating. I think that there's assumption, like maybe as we've been addressing this idea of like American and freedom and the American experiment, which is what this was. It's a, it's a mm. culture that's saying, hey, what if we give maximal freedom? Is that a better system? And in a lot of ways, history has proven that there is a yeah. lot. It, having freedom is one of the necessary elements of human thriving mm -hmm. having some measure of freedom yeah 
And that's one of the things that America has done really well is it's given more freedom to its citizens than many cultures in history. Mm -hmm. And other nations have actually tried to start to model after that because they see the economic prowess, they see the comfort, mm -hmm. all, all these different things from America. But, 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 um, with that has come a lot of other things that are challenging. So to take the bond metaphor that Jesus uses uh, or the picture image, America does an amazing job as a nation of allowing you to fill your barns and even build bigger barns. There is more capacity in this nation to do that than, than pretty much anywhere ever in history. The way of Jesus demands intentionality as to how you can empty your barns in goodness to the world around you as a personal ethic, not as a, as a responsibility of government, not as a, a command of the state, but simply as a personal ethic that there are people that are, are without and you have plenty. The way of Jesus demands intentionality in terms of emptying your barns. Uh, it's not a state thing. It's not a polit political thing. It's simply a personal ethic that seems to go hand in hand with the way of Jesus. And that's why for writers like James, um, Jesus' brother writing later in the New Testament, he's like, don't stand there saying, oh, oh, please, God bless my brother who's starving while you have plenty of food sat in the kitchen. No, no, the way of Jesus demands responsibility in that demands a personal ethic that says I'm going to work in different ways to, to, to provide for those that don't have, mm. um, which is, which is challenging. Cause then we get into all these questions. Like, do they need it? All those different things we talked about the, the week before when Jesus says, do not resist the buzz. If someone wants to borrow from you, then don't overthink it. But what if they use, use it for a bad purpose? What if they give it to the government. <laughs> yeah. What if they give it to the government and they spend it on drugs or alcohol? Yeah. Yeah. What it? What if? Yeah, it, and he, and the I think the ethic of Jesus it has this strained tension in it. This is why I said surrender mm -hmm. is the ethic of Jesus sort of demands that you actually like you could say left, right, politically, all those different. Okay, whatever. In the end, when you relinquish what you think is your stuff, you you let go of the right to decide where that goes. Mm -hmm. And you have to trust it in, <laughs> it, that's so into the hands of the person who's receiving it and the sovereignty and goodness of God. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it gets used horribly and that's not on you. What's on you is Jesus says to give it. Mm. Oh, and it's terrifying. And see, that's where I think we run into the American value. And that's where we run into even a libertarian value because mm. a libertarian's like, I just need control over all the stuff. So isn't that interesting? Like, so if you're listening and you would describe yourself as a libertarian, yeah, I, I think what what I'm what we're trying to get at is, uh, and maybe both of us, my wife would certainly own a libertarian tendency. That's yeah, I have a lot her. of some leanings yeah. there too. Yeah, there's um, some similarity. So, so somewhere, accepting that's okay. Somewhere, the hard work in the way of Jesus is determining. Does that reflect a personal way of living too that I actually have to allow Jesus to work with? Or is it simply a stance about government? Is it simply a political belief that says, I, I don't believe this system is healthy? Uh, or is that a work around a get out 
from the hard work of actually intentional surrender of property, surrender of my stuff to the way of Jesus. Yeah. So because it's really easy to use the first one as an excuse for a heart that's really centered in the second one. And even if you're not consciously aware of it. So here's here's my biggest challenge when it comes to this subject of like saying that I'm all in on a libertarian mentality politically. And that's that, okay, on the one hand, I struggle to trust the government to mm -hmm. spend my money, my the money wisely. But I know myself enough that I don't really trust myself mm. to spend the money wisely yeah. either for the goodness of the of the world and the broken. And so there's part of me who's like, I'm not smart enough to manage my own money and and I'm not kind enough. So a lot of the times I'm just not kind enough mm. to manage my money and say that I'm, I'm killing it when it comes mm. to like spending every dollar for the sake of the kingdom of God. Mm. I'm just not. And so that's why I don't trust me and I don't trust them. Mm. And so I almost have to like, at some point surrender to the reality that God's bigger and whether I have the money and I'm giving it to the church, for example, like a, that's part of what I do with some of my tithe is mm. I give to the church and I, um, you know, it's, or I give to a nonprofit in different mm -hmm. ways or shape. I don't know where that always goes. No. I mean, I'm on staff at a church. Yeah, I know yeah, some, yeah, of, some ideas, but, yeah. um, same thing with the government. Like I, I think that a lot of that money just gets squandered and used poorly, but some of it helps a widow or an orphan to feed their kids. And I, I'm just not smart enough to just carte blanche. I'm a hundred percent in mm. because I don't trust me. So I don't know. Yeah. What, and what I've started to recognize similar, similar to that. When it comes to the way of Jesus and how he sketches out how we should live. I recognize that on one hand, I know Jesus is smarter than I am, understands the world better than I do and that I can trust his way of living. I often try and look for loopholes when his way of living is difficult. Mm. And so if I find myself in a place where I'm trying to find a loophole, what I'm starting to learn to do is to suspect that the reading I want to avoid and get out of might actually be the accurate reading. I just don't yeah. like it. So, so, so... So it's really easy to start to say things like, huh, when Jesus says it's better to cut off your hand and enter eternity maimed than it is to fall in this particular way, my automatic tendency is to start to, to, to navigate around that. Oh, he didn't really mean that. He meant this, he meant this, he meant this. And, this. and that might be true. But I'm also learning to be a little suspicious of my reading. And hey, that's just good textual criticism that, right there, yeah. That says yeah. like, uh, actually, if what he says about eternity is true, and if cutting off my hand was a way of making sure that I entered it, he would be absolutely right. And I can't remember if you told me this story, but I was telling someone else this story uh, today. Someone was telling me about a, a friend who was in seminary and they asked 20 pastors, um, would you steal bread to feed your starving family? And 19 of them said, yes, I would. 
And the guy that didn't was actually from Africa and had grown up with famines, grown up with lack, grown up with all of those different things. And he said no. And everyone wanted to know why, having experienced what you've experienced, would you not say no? And he said, what is it that we've come to believe about death that is so bad that we would drop the ethics Jesus gave us in order to avoid it? Wow. And, and I'm like, oh my goodness, absolutely. But I, on the other hand, am the self-confessed pastor that would be like, yeah, if my family was starving, I'd be, I'd be going around making sure they didn't starve. Yeah. Um, th- th- there's a... You could, you could take that one into like the right to bear arms and all of these types of things so, where it's like, I, you know, if they're threatening my family, I'm going to take them out. Yes. Okay. But that has eternal implications for that person. And maybe, I don't know, there's, it gets a little bit more complicated it's when you so actually, when you take the teachings of Jesus deadly serious and you say, Jesus, I don't get it sometimes. And it completely runs into my natural instinct to protect my family, my natural instinct to eat, my natural instinct to fill in the blank. Uh And your ethic demands something higher of me. Ooh, wait a second. I want to apply the constitution instead of the scriptures. Totally. It's so difficult. Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, that rather than love your neighbor as yourself. Like, which one is the greatest commandment? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm. Or love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor And I think yourself. we've what, it, what may be, while the freedom concept of our Western nations is profound and somewhat reflects something about God, on the other hand, we have to accept that our ability to cheat death and to continue that process for a long time and our expectations of what that looks like is very distinct from lots of the world. So, so I was reading this fascinating book about a guy that was diagnosed with cancer at a young age, pastor, and went through all of the trauma of that. Mm. And one of the things he wrote was he said, I became really aware that anything ch- that challenges our expectation of what's a normal life really hits us really hard. So our automatic assumptions as Westerners is, I'm going to get to grow old. I'm going to have kids. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have kids. Those kids will have kids. And I'll watch my grandkids grow up to a certain degree. And then anything beyond that is grace. But there's an expectation that that's what I get to see. Yeah, that's the bare minimum. Yeah. Now, now you grew up in Rwanda or were born in Rwanda. Almost no one in Rwanda would have that as an expectation. Yeah, like, in fact, in a lot of these countries, especially in the rural villages, they they struggle to think of their children as human mm, until they're about three. Yeah, because they make it to three, then I can care because uh it's too painful to lose that many children. Yeah. And think of them as fully human. Yeah. Because it happens so frequently that Mm -hmm. they almost have to have an emotional barrier between them and the child because they're afraid of losing them. And then when, if they make it to three, there's a pretty good chance they're going to make it beyond. And then they can like more fully emotionally engage in the relationship. So at the same time as like our ability to think into the future creates so many possibilities for society. And we don't have to just think about surviving today. What it also does is it makes us make assumptions about the future. And this is what's promised to me. And, and yet what Jesus very explicitly says is tomorrow isn't promised to anybody. Like today has enough struggles of its own. Like today is, is what you've been given. That's the message of the barns. It's like 
today today you have but tomorrow you don't have all that you have will be required of you so our ability to think into the future also comes with some expectations about what life is and that's why when we see people get a diagnosis around something like life-threatening like cancer um it's it's easier apparently for people to process that when they've had grandkids because there's a certain degree of like oh yeah okay i at this least is achieved a, this, this yeah. is normal i've i've received what was promised and and now everything else is is questionable hmm. when you haven't done the things that are taken for granted really hard to process because yeah. like well well I, I didn't get to see this i didn't, I didn't get, get a to chance do that. to do that. yeah so so that that's so fascinating to me how our, our cultural upbringing both has aspects that are very much in line with the way of jesus and help us understand him better and, and other ways that that make it very difficult for us to understand how jesus spoke and what he asks of us and and, and it comes down to trust am i going to trust that jesus speaks beyond culture and beyond a specific cultural moment and his wisdom is greater than than any other wisdom and i i think the biblical idea that we're talking about here with with this word trust is actually faith mm -hmm. so f faith is so the 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 framework of christianity is when you when you actually take uh an evaluation of all of the systems and structures of organizing your life and building a good existence as a human being and you realize okay i don't necessarily trust the government i don't trust i've clearly made mistakes myself so i don't fully trust me i don't trust like there's a lot of places that are flawed and have some answers but not all the answers and stuff eventually you get run into this place where jesus extends an offer mm -hmm. of a way of being human mm -hmm. and a way of existing and a way of trusting and christian freedom is actually saying do I trust his way? Yes. Is the best possible way. Yeah. Even riddled with its pains and its challenges and confusion, he's proven himself enough to me to say, all right, I'm all in. And, and, That's faith. Yeah. That's what saving faith actually is, is saying like, um, I'm in. And then the journey with Jesus is like, okay, I'm trusting. And then he will run into a new ethic of Jesus as you're walking with him. And he says, all right, are you ready to trust me with this one? And you're like, I don't know with mm -hmm. this one. Yeah. And then it's another step of faith. And so I think, I think somewhere at the core of this passage that we looked at this week, this first Corinthians eight and nine is, is this idea that on one hand, we recognize the, that it's intolerable to be in slavery to another person. And we're comfortable with that. Yeah. What Jesus seems to say is being able to do whatever you want, whenever you want, is really slavery to yourself and to sin. And that's actually just as problematic. The only person we can trust ourselves to slavery in is to him. Like that, that's what he asks us to trust. Like he's the only person that we can trust with that ownership of ourselves. Yeah. Can't trust another person. Can't trust ourselves, but somewhere he asks us to believe that we can trust him. Yeah. Um, and and, and that, that is a completely different way of living to what most of us are familiar with. And that's, that's actually one of the reasons why the cross is so powerful is he, is he, he lays out a teaching, the Sermon on the Mount, all of his teachings that are like challenging and it, it demands trust mm -hmm. and it's a hard way in so many ways and then he says, you know what? I want to prove that I'm good. Mm -hmm. 
and to prove that I'm good, I am going to go all the way to the cross. Yeah, and and that's to what, demonstrate yeah. my love and and. And that's what we tried to get at the week before. Like the thing that makes Jesus trustworthy to me is not just his teaching of principles, but his modeling of principles. Yeah. So if 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 he says to do it and then you see him not do it, you're like, yeah, I don't know if I buy that. When you see him say, this is the way to live and then live it, um, then that's compelling. Um, Absolutely. And, and that's what makes him a great moral teacher as well as being other things. Yeah. Um, that we talk about within the the Jesus faith, so so I think that's that's fascinating to me. Um, we've we've got some little time left, but not much. Yeah. I, I'm intrigued by the last part of the passage that we looked at talks about uh, another person whose conscience is weak. Yeah. So surrender to that person. Part of freedom is is surrendering to them. Like two questions: How do you know who's the weaker brother? How do you know? Well, can you fill it in a little bit more fully? So what's the text actually say? Like, I, I'm going to try and pull it up here for us. Yeah, you're going to have to pull it up. Yeah. Maybe you. So, you so really the conversation phone. is around for specifically for the Corinthians about food sacrifice to idols. Some people are saying we can just eat what we want. It was only really possible for these poorer Corinthians to get meat. It was chapter nine. Wait, and not eight would be good first. Uh, Eight. Yeah, now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge. We all possess knowledge was a Corinthian quote, and specifically in this case, we possess the knowledge that food sacrifice to idols isn't a big deal. Idols aren't real. They're just wooden statues. We can do whatever we want. Um, and, and that's what he goes on to unpack. So, so we all know that an idol is nothing in the world and there is no God but one. Uh, and, and Paul's generally like, yeah, to, to for the most part, I agree with you. We know that idols aren't real. The meat doesn't matter. It's all good in some ways. And, and then he goes on to say, but not everybody knows that. So there's some people that genuinely, when they eat meat sacrificed to idols, have in mind, this was sacrificed to another God and I'm breaking and my... I'm being bad yeah, by eating. Yeah, I'm yeah. breaking my vows to the God I serve just to eat meat. And so Paul's push is don't push the person who's unsure to that degree. So on one hand, like, yeah, what's the modern equivalent? How do you know? But then where's the section? So let's pull it up here. The section where he actually says the weaker brother. For um, uh, so if someone with a weak conscience sees you with all your knowledge eating an, at an idol's temple, won't that person be emboldened to do what is sacrificed, to eat what is sacrificed to idols? So this weak brother or sister for whom Christ died is destroyed by your knowledge. When you sin against them in this way and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if what I eat causes my brother or sister to fall into sin, I will never eat meat again, so I will not cause them to fall. So like, it's almost like he's building this argument and you're like, oh, sweet, we're going to get to find out who's the weak one. Uh -huh, yeah. And then we should crush the weak one and tell them, just be stronger yes. because you're not exercising the freedom that you have in Jesus. Uh -huh. Um, you have freedom. Just be stronger. Let's all eat meat together and enjoy yeah. it. And then it takes a terrible twist at the end. Huh? He says, no, don't eat. And you, you almost want him to say like, oh, this is my advice to the weaker brother to strengthen your conscience. Yeah. And he doesn't give any advice. He doesn't say anything. The weak one, he doesn't address them. Like, is, And so I, what I've wondered around that is like, 
what do you do when you find your conscience may be oversensitive? Is there anything that you can do or is that just who you are? I grew up with a very sensitive conscience. I just really like struggled with, uh, especially early in my faith, I was worried about getting anything wrong. Yeah. Uh, to the point that it became a joke in the church. And this was a big church. Like people like that do like this response time and, and people have been nudging each other, like putting like dollar amounts on the odds that I responded to this particular plea for someone to, 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 who needed forgiveness. I always thought I'd done something wrong. Now that doesn't seem healthy to me. And, and, and unfortunately that's shifted now. Um, but I just like, if you're, if someone's sitting there saying, yeah, I just feel like conscience wise, I've always done something wrong or I'm not allowed to do anything. What's our advice to the, that, to someone in that situation? Well, yeah. I mean, I, the ironic thing is there's probably people who are hearing this text in this church and they fit in both camps. Yeah. So it doesn't, even though, so he, his challenge is actually to rein in your freedom uh -huh. for the quote unquote strong one yeah. to, yeah. to rein in their freedom to, to love and care for the quote unquote weak uh -huh. one. Um, but if they're, if they would consider themselves the weak one, they're hearing this too. And they're being invited into what is strong. Yes. Now the question mark is, uh, I, I think it's so easy for us to say, well, I want to be the strong one. Obviously, uh -huh. like no one's going to say by like, I'd rather be the weak one. Certainly no guy is going to say that. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather be the weak one. Like I see, I want to be the more spiritually weak. Yeah. 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 Um, that's, it doesn't sound very good, but uh, so yeah, does, who's the weak one? Does Paul miraculously here both ask people that consider themselves mature to consider those that are weaker and invite those whose conscience is oversensitive to step into a different level of maturity. I, I don't know. Maybe he lands on the brilliant like tone of like, maybe someone in Corinth reads this and says, huh, Paul says, I don't need to be worried about that anymore. I'm okay with it now. Like maybe that's, maybe that's the brilliance of the letter that it actually does both. Um, but, but I, I, I do find that, doing pastoral counseling i meet and talk with people who don't seem to care about anything like that seem to be able to wander through the christian life never feeling like their conscience is pricked at all and then i meet other people and have been the other person where i'm like i always felt there was something wrong and and neither of those seem particularly healthy places to stay and it's actually if we're honest, sometimes it's easier to assume that the person doing the more lib uh, liberal activity of like being more casual with their morality or whatever you want to call mm -hmm. that's the weak person. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. In the framework, it's actually the person being more free uh -huh. is the strong one. Yeah. It's so like it feels strong. so yeah, or at least things. Yeah, this text, I think it's supposed to mess with us. Yeah. No matter where we are. Yeah. It's supposed to say Oh, like the freedom is so big that I could do almost everything, but then not everything's beneficial. Yeah. It's, ooh, what do I do with that? And it makes you think at a deeper level than just the action in and of itself. It makes you, yeah. it demands that you consider the other when you're making a decision and, and about your own And this is what freedom. I love about the Jesus faith and find challenging about the Jesus faith at the same time. 
it 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 excels in the gray areas. It 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 excels in saying things like love is the better way. Um, choose to be loving when it could just simply give a black and white rule. Paul could simply say to the Corinthians, yes. never eat meat again. And he could simply say to them, it doesn't matter what meat you eat. And yet he doesn't. He says to a degree, you guys are going to have to figure this out. And, and what I'm telling you to do is when you're unsure, choose the loving thing. When you're unsure, choose the loving thing. Uh, it's the, the, the pastor Andy Stanley talks about the second best question ever is what is the wise thing to do? Um, and, and I think he says that that's the best thing to do after, um, after the quest, the second best, it's the second best question. Cause the best question is, is, um, do I know Jesus or something like that? I can't yeah. remember how he, he phrases that, but, but it feels like Paul might say, Maybe the best question is, what is the loving thing to do? Yeah. I've heard Andy Stanley say this in the leadership context of like, if I were a good leader, what would I do right now? Like in the leadership talk and you're like, oh gosh, that's such an invasive question. Uh, but like is. if I was a loving person, what would I do? I, wow. That like starts to get a little too close to home because mm -hmm. it starts to demand. And I think that that's what you're getting at. The way of Jesus, this the beautiful thing you were just talking about is that um, it actually demands a massive amount of cognitive and emotional and faith-filled effort to engage because it's not black and white. And I think we've, and I've used this example before, I would use it again. I love black and white propositions that let me know this is the right thing to do, this is the wrong thing to do. Jesus seems to regularly offer places to exist that require participation with him um, and listening to him and an ongoing dialogue with him. So right now, if I need a new sofa, I can go and spend $3,000 on a sofa or I can live with a sofa I've got and give $3,000 away. M my instant reaction is regularly just tell me the right thing to do. And then, and then my belief is when I get to the end of that, Jesus is happy with me when I made the right choice and he's not happy with me if I made the wrong choice. And yet he seems to value walking with me in that journey. Um, he's present with me as I'm figuring that out. And he seems to crave that kind of relationship and want us to crave it. And we just want to skip the relational part and get to the answer at the end. Totally. Um, and, in, and just like in this, that Paul invites the Corinthians into a relational conversation that includes the spirit of God and says, figure this out around love. That's the yeah, best. Love way. is the framework. Good luck. Yeah. That's terrifying. Terrifying. Actually, so I'll just brought, drop this crazy bombshell. Maybe we can talk about it sometime in the future. But I think that the the one of the reasons why it's so challenging to be uh, to to live and walk in the way of Jesus is because it's it's actually he's tapping into what it means to be human and not an animal. Mm -hmm. Like the rest of yeah. our frameworks is like all you have to consider is your animalistic instinct. What what protects me the most? Mm. Well, how do I procreate the most? How do I you fill in the blank? How to safety protection? Those are animal thoughts. Yeah, those every animal on the face of the earth. Yeah, that's its framework for existence. And if it's a social creature, it has some reins around that. Mm -hmm. And we, but 
the way of Jesus says, it actually says part of the Imago Dei, the image of God in you is that you're able to think beyond those basic physical needs Absolutely. and make decisions that are intentionally bring you in. Uh, anyway. And it's constantly calling up to a highway. And this week, if you're here at South with us, watching online or whatever, we're going to cover 1 Corinthians 12 and 13 and a little bit of 14. Because the first part of the text in 12 is all about around spiritual gifts. It's around having power. It's around God's work in you. And then Paul says something that, depending on how you read it, dramatically changes how you see those gifts. He then says, but let me show you a more excellent way. And then he goes on to talk about love in a passage that we usually only hear at weddings. In that moment, what we potentially hear is forget about the gift stuff. Just think about the love stuff. And yet what I'm going to suggest on Sunday is what he actually says is this is a framework that makes all that work at its best. Come up to this higher way. Now you don't come, have to come to Sunday. No, 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 you do. You still have to come. No. Because <laughs> there's more. There's much more. There's much more. Uh, spoiler alert, right? Um, well, thank you all for tuning in. Um, it would help us a lot with this podcast if you if you uh, like, subscribe on YouTube, make comments, um, those sorts of things. That actually bumps this up into an algorithm and all those things. And for that, whatever reason, we can't talk for less than an hour. Us yeah. talking less than an hour might also help that too. It probably but, would. <laughs> <laughs> or, or saying things that were slightly more coherent would also help <laughs> oh <laughs> but, man well we love you anyway whoever yeah. you are that is still with us yes if you're still listening now it. why yeah. all right um <laughs> see you guys have right. a great sunday uh, have a great sunday it's not sunday have a great Thursday. wow that's a guy who's been led a service too many, many times. times many many times all right let's <laughs> see if i can even figure out how to shut this off from across the room Well, thanks again for listening, and we hope that that was a helpful conversation for you. We'd love to interact with you about this, so feel free to leave comments, questions, all that sort of thing, and we'll try our best to get back to you when we can. Have a great day.